0: A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Well, everyone, welcome back to Live Wild Podcast. It's already mid-October, I can't believe it. It's like, I've already had a lot of great hunts and there's still a lot of season left for a lot of places across the country. Hunting seasons are just starting to ramp up. A lot of whitetail seasons, we're transitioning from archery season into some muzzleloader or even general rifle seasons or rifle seasons across the West which is really exciting. If you've got a tag in your pocket, it's it's time to start focusing in and, and making those hunt plans and, and going on those hunts. And for me, I've got an elk tag, a couple deer tags in my pocket left this season, a cow elk tag, which I'm excited about. My wife and I have cow elk tags. And to be honest, that's actually probably the hunt that I'm most excited about that I have remaining for this year. And then I've got a late muzzleloader hunt for mule deer that I'm really excited about. Going to hunt with a buddy of mine that we haven't had tags together in a long time. So... It's going to be a really fun hunt, and I'm just looking forward to those hunts coming up. And one of the things that I think about this time of year especially is mule deer, and I was just thinking about it the other day. You know, honestly, finding mature mule deer, especially when it comes to general-type areas, I think that's one of the toughest hunts in the West, and there's a lot of reasons for that because— First of all, they're hard to find. You have to have the right habitat and the right things. And then you get all those things right, and you still have to find them, and a lot of the seasons make it difficult. So this week, we're going to kind of look at when it comes to mule deer hunting. You know, there's those times where you might be finding deer, but what you're finding is more does and fawns or young bucks. And what I like to call these is nurseries. So they hold deer, but they always just seem to be young deer. Now, the draw on the hunter is that you go there and you're getting on game. You keep seeing animals, you keep seeing deer, but it's not the type of deer that you might be looking for. Maybe you're trying to target a mature buck and you keep going to these spots where it's like, okay, I'm turning up deer, I'm turning up numbers. Surely there's a buck here and you spend your time in these nurseries and then the week goes by and you've seen a lot of deer, but you haven't found what you're looking for. And what that can do is it can detract from Essentially, your focus of if you're trying to find a mature buck, you're, you're getting locked into these nursery areas, and that's taking away time from looking in more productive areas for that time of year. So this week, we're going to look at that nursery factor. We're going to identify when it's time to move on, and then we're also going to look at how these areas can immediately switch to become productive spots as the season progresses toward the rut. But before we do that, I want to share the story of a nursery-turned-producer. So quite a few years ago, I kind of came upon this spot that I started scouting in the summer and it was like just looking around, covering some country, looking for a new area to hunt mule deer. And this particular place, I just continually saw deer. It was a lot of does. And so I'll, I'll kind of build out the scenario of like the type of terrain. So big mountain, you know, rougher Hard to access mountain comes down into more foothills country. In that foothills country, sparser timber, a lot more like more gradual country. And then there was some, you know, thicker timber patches that have been logged or thinned out. So good openings. And then there was also some more, almost like drier country, more that like sage country. Not a lot of it, but a few pockets where you'd have. It went from like pines to a little bit of mahogany, a little bit of buckbrush and other stuff. Just really good looking mule deer habitat and knowing now this particular area had a, a bigger mountain behind it and what i did know is like a lot of the good bucks in the summer would be up in those alpine basins they're a long ways away miles away from this kind of country but going into that you know in the summer going up there and scouting I was like okay i'm seeing does down here and what i knew is that okay there's this resident population of does So throughout the season, so I I would hunt that like during archery season, whether, you know, taking other people in there or hunting for myself. And during the archery season, it was like, I would kind of turn up the same, what seemed like the same does in the same pockets. Like they were just living there. They lived there. They had, I assume they were probably there from the springtime. They had their fawns there and they just held in this pocket. And there was actually one doe that I could, was fairly identifiable. I think I had like a split ear. I don't know how many split ear does there are probably quite a few, but it just seemed like, oh, there's that same doe again, right? It was like, every time I went in there, I could kind of find within this certain little, between this draw and this draw, this pocket of does, and then this other part of the mountain, same kind of deal where I just continually turn up does, but there was never any real bucks there. And we keep checking it because it was, hey, you're seeing deer. A lot of the other places in the area, it was really hard to find deer. So when you when you go into a place that has deer, you go, oh, there's a potential here. Some There were times where I'd take somebody that was like, I just want to be successful, right? And there doesn't matter what kind of deer, they're just looking for any buck and an opportunity. During the archery season, I'd, I'd take them in there and we'd every once in a while turn up little, I'd say like two-year-old bucks, little three points, little forked horns. They were just hanging with the does or they'd pop in with this group and then, or they'd be kind of in that same area, but never any mature bucks. However... As the season progressed, I kind of kept this spot in the back of my mind because logically, I know that the bucks are up on the mountain. This particular area you could hunt going into the rut. And so we know that there's bucks up there. They get timbered up in that early October timeframe, essentially now. And then toward the end of November, sure enough, rut action this starts to boil up again. And I'm thinking, okay, these does are kind of, always here right now it's a nursery it's just baby deer and does no mature deer I mean as much as we looked in there or would go through there or would hunt something else in there maybe look for elk or whatever it's just always young deer but knowing those doe pockets later on that season we got some good snow that year it was just a a really good year for you know it seemed like other places the rut kind of picked up a little bit earlier And this this particular season would close down fairly early so you couldn't hunt like all the way through the rut, but you could catch maybe some years that first part of the rut. And so this particular year, good snow tended to be an earlier rut. And first thing I decided to do is go check these doe pockets. And so we'd go in there and just start watching these pockets of does. And sure enough, the first day, nothing. But I can continually like get back and, and pick out these different groups, and I knew exactly where to go. So I'd go check one pocket, go back to this other pocket. And then all of a sudden, boom, buck shows up. Nice, big, mature, three by three, you know, not a giant, but a really good buck. And so we ended up, one of the guys that was with me shot it. It was his best meal deer. I was like, oh, cool, okay. Then we would just kind of continually check these pockets as the time went on, and sure enough, better deer and more deer would be in and out. Now, they weren't locking down with the does because it's just that earlier part of the rut. But what ended up happening was this this place that never had mature bucks then became a place where we could utilize these does to start turning up bucks in country that's kind of tough to hunt, honestly, and it's hard to find mule deer. So what it did was it allowed us to narrow our, our focus and our search to this particular spot where we knew that there was deer and we knew that it's like almost like our live bait we called it it's like this is a good place to attract deer and actually i had uh, a buddy of mine was taking out an older guy and and i had to work and i was like okay there's this big buck that i'd been seeing up on the mountain you need to take him in here i was like these pockets of dough i just it's logical that the bucks that buck would we knew i knew where he was summering it was a logical route for him to come down Why would he not be checking these pockets? I mean, just continually check these pockets. And so he he took the guy in there and sure enough, like came around the corner over the ridge. I mean, where the buck had been, where the doe pockets were. And I just kind of like, just gave him every, I was like, here's where the does are. They're between here and here, here and here. And I've seen them there nearly every time. Like it's just a nursery that they don't leave yet bucks are starting to show up. And he went in there and they shot like a giant, big four by four, lots of kickers and flyers, almost 190 inch buck in a general unit. It was like a 180 something. And he had some broken points on him. And it was a deer that I, I was like really glad this guy took this deer because, you know, I I was actually hunting it for myself, but I, I knew that there was no more time that I could hunt it. And it was awesome that he was able to go in there and get that buck. I was glad somebody was able to take it. And sure enough, like you know, scouting in there and knowing that area was one thing, but also, you know, having that plan and just understanding that nursery wasn't worth spending my time in earlier in the season. But as the season progressed and we got closer to the rut, it then became a magnet for bucks and was a producer for us. And then it's just kind of one of those tactics that I've used over the years of, okay, I've been in that position where you find deer. You know, there's a place that I hunted general tag for quite a few years. And there's places where I can go and find deer regularly. Yet I know that those places are just, it's always the same. I know not that a good buck couldn't turn up, right? But I'm there and I'm like, doe, fawn, fork and horn, small three point, doe, fawn. It's like, I'm turning up deer. When I go up on the mountain, I might not even see a deer in a week, but here I can see 20, 30 deer a day. And it makes me feel like, oh, this is the spot. There's deer, we just got to keep going. Yet I know that it's, not a producer that time of year, and now this that particular area, that I can't hunt during the rut. So it's an October time frame, and and there's nothing I can do. So I used to get sucked into that cycle of just like, okay, this is where the deer are at, more deer, more opportunity, and now I kind of realize like that's not always the case. We have to understand the deer behavior, focus on what the mature deer are doing, and then go spend our time doing that, and and that has led to a lot more mature bucks for me over the years. Now, of course, I've talked about this before. Hey, you gotta, you gotta figure out what your goals are. If you just wanna be successful, absolutely, you know, target those areas because that's where the immature deer are gonna be. There's a big difference between mature bucks and immature bucks. Like we've, we've been talking about mature bull elk and immature bull elk. They're like two different species. They do different things, they have different habits. But when we start to focus in, and then maybe you've got a season where you can utilize that knowledge of where the does are, where these nurseries are at, and what might happen when the rut switch is on, can be a game changer when it comes to success for whatever tag you're hunting. So let's first dive into what is a nursery. And I think of a nursery like this, like there's places where you can go and it just seems like all there are are young deer, fawns, does, and little bucks. And there's a reason that these areas occur. And and what I think it is and what I would kind of classify as a nursery is a place where there's a very resident population of does. And that resident population of does is very safe in this particular area. They stay there because they have everything that they need and they have safety for their fawns. So often in these nursery type areas, I could go in, I've noticed this like during spring bear season is when I actually do a lot of scouting in the springtime because I could be bear hunting and then also learning a lot about the unit. And there's certain pockets where it's like there's does here, they have their fawns and I go back in there later in the summer, and those does are still there with their fawns. And then you go back in September and those does are still there with their fawns. And through October, they're very resident deer. Now there's deer in every unit that summer they transition. If you got an area with big elevation changes, those bucks do definitely different things in the summer than what the does do. Not that there won't be does at the top of the mountain, not that there won't be bucks at the bottom of the mountain, but traditionally they have their habits and the things that they like. And that's primarily for safety. Now, these groups of does in these nurseries, it's just a safety in numbers game. They, they can herd up, they like the area, they've got everything they need. There's probably a good amount of cover, but there's a lot of feed, there's a lot of escape routes. There's just a safety of familiarity and these deer are very resident deer. And so what happens is those resident deer live there and they essentially live there throughout the entire year. And so as a hunter, you, you pop into that area and you start turning up deer and you're like deer, 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 deer and you start to feel good. Now, this isn't to say that when every area where you start to see deer is is a nursery, but what you start to find is there are particular places where it's like there's good numbers of deer and yet not the deer that we're looking for that time of year. And so the time of year that I'm generally talking would be after they've shed their velvet, let's say beginning mid-September through... October And especially this time frame, like beginning of October through toward the end of October, when those bigger mature bucks are kind of in seclusion pre-rut, um, you, you tend to find that those bigger bucks have pulled away from these particular areas. And it's just all young deer, uh, younger bucks cruising around. And it can be a great place to target those type of deer because you might have, you know, immature bucks deciding to try to rut early or getting in and thinking, oh, dude, there's does, there's ladies here. Let's let's get in here before they get their butts kicked and moved away. But it's an area that just holds a certain age class of deer. And I like to think of it sometimes when I'm hunting is like birds of a feather flock together kind of mentality where mature bucks like a certain place, does like a certain place, younger bucks like a certain place. And when you start to find repetition of that, then you start to understand like, okay, this is just a nursery. Now, I think one of the important things to decipher is, am I in a nursery or am I just in a good area that has good habitat where this is a spot where I'm going to turn up a buck? Sometimes that's very hard to distinguish because, of course, a good deer can pop up anywhere. <laughs> I used to like this. I think it was like Eastman's back in the day. They would say, "I oh, was maybe Mikey's would say, a Big deer where you find them. It's like, no shit, Sherlock. Of course, big deer where you find them, right? But sometimes a big deer can be in places you don't expect. It just happens, right? You can't, there's not one size fits all, but for the most part, things tend to follow patterns. So yes, you can find a a good deer in a nursery and whatever, but you can also burn up a lot of time hunting in an area where there's lots of deer and no bucks. And that's just... I think the question that I get asked all the time is, okay, I hunted all week and all I saw were does and fawns. And my thought is you're probably in a nursery type area. You got sucked into that situation because you were seeing deer and you didn't invest time going somewhere else. And when that happens, I've done it. We've all done it. You tend to spin your wheels in a spot where those bucks just aren't going to show up for that time that you're there. So we need to figure out how do I identify this nursery area And then what are some things that I can do to utilize this nursery type area to my benefit? One of the easiest ways to identify if an area is kind of a nursery type area is if you had a lot of previous knowledge in this particular spot, right? Any hunting that you do, the more you hunt a particular place, the better you get at hunting it and understanding, okay, this canyon, there's places that I've been and it's like this particular canyon always holds does. And that's just it holds them every day of the year. They're always there. Now, if you're going into an area and you don't know the area, you're going into a new spot, how do we decide that? I think a lot of it is just understanding the country and how well you think you're covering it. If I'm in a spot and I I get into this canyon and I, I start picking it apart and it's like does, young deer, maybe no bucks, just a lot of deer, but I'm not turning up bucks and I do that for a couple days... I start to kind of tend to think, okay, there's deer here, but not the type of deer I'm looking for. And I, I try to match up a couple of things. One is the time of year. And by time of year, I mean, is it the October time frame when those bucks are going to be more solitary and probably finding pockets away from these does? Like they're just, they're going to be in areas that they're more secluded. Or is it a time frame where, Buck should be around does right now so if it's that running time frame and i start seeing does i'm going to start focusing in if it's a time frame where the mature bucks are probably secluded from the does then i'm going to start to think maybe i should pick other spots to to look for and really it, it is one of those things that you just kind of get practice with of understanding like what's the terrain look like where is it on the mountain and what am i seeing here you know it's one of those things you just kind of have to and go with your gut on a little bit you know, i feel like this area isn't a producer even though there's a lot of deer here um maybe i should check a different spot and so when you do find that nursery here's some of the things like i think that habitat kind of indicates it a little bit as well you know it's one of those things like if you're in the and this is hard to say too because mule deer do like different types of terrain so there's like let's say you're in a big mountain and there's lower country that's a little more open, has that sage type stuff. You can definitely find big bucks in that any time of year. And I've talked about it before where you match your hunting style to the type of terrain. But then you've got a big mountain with a lot of timber. And yeah, I think a majority of your your deer are going to be timbered up in this October timeframe, up in that top third of the mountain, below the alpine, above this stuff, waiting for that rut to hit. Hardest place to find deer, hardest place to hunt. So habitat can indicate it a little bit, but what we're going to think about is, okay, where, if there's deer here and these deer have fawns, does and fawns, well, to get fawns, you need bucks. So there's clearly bucks here at some point, and these deer are clearly hanging in this pattern and they really like this particular area. So during the rut, deer are are popping in here. Now, what's a logical path based off the topography and the mountain and, and... this particular area of where are these bucks coming from? And that's what we try to extrapolate. I go, if I find a nursery area, I don't go, oh, bummer, I found a nursery. I go, awesome, I found deer in a good concentration of deer. I've been other places. This is especially true in a place. I think about, I don't know, I use Idaho as an example because I've had some of the hardest deer hunts in my life there and some of the best deer hunts in my life. But I try not to, I generally don't throw out states so often, but, you know, it can be a really hard hunt and it can be a really great hunt, but it's very difficult sometimes in certain units. And so one of the things that I've noticed is I could go a million places and not see anything. And then there's a few pockets where there's good numbers. You go, okay, there's good numbers here. This clearly later on attracts deer to this particular spot. There's something about this spot that they like. So that means that deer traveling to this area during the rut or breeding season, if if I believe that these deer are kind of living here all year. And by doing that, that helps me narrow down specific spots where I can then go, okay, I'm gonna now look in this elevation band in this particular area. Of course, deer will move a very long ways. And sometimes it's not, you know, I'm not looking right here, but I'm going, okay, where's a good area that might have good summer range where between here and there, and what's a good route that they might take? And I've done that and been very successful finding isolated pockets for, you know, single mature bucks where they're living, you know, okay, here's where the bucks are living. Here's what they're doing. And this is probably where they're rutting. So I'm going from point A, potential summer range, point B, potential rut zone. Where's some places along that, in my mind, that would be good for deer right now? and by doing that i found little honey holes where i go okay this is a spot where bucks go and you see a lot less deer but you're targeting a certain kind of deer and it can be difficult for sure but it helps you identify and narrow down vast amounts of country into smaller places you know i think about like and this is you know back when as you could get a non-resident idaho tag and hunt the entire state i would hunt nearly every unit like looking for pockets and places to go and, and hunt, you know, and spend a lot of time cruising to different units and shoot. I mean, in a season, I would maybe go into seven to ten different units. Honestly, now you can't do that anymore, which is a bummer. But uh, residents can. So, uh, but you know, this is this is just to say, you know, there's a lot of country in, and even just a single unit in any Western state: Nevada, Utah, Montana, Idaho, Colorado, Wyoming. Uh, Oregon, Washington, doesn't matter. California, doesn't matter. There's a lot of con- California and there's a lot of country that you don't even think about. There's a lot of country in that state. It's a big state, a lot of mountains. And so there's a vast amount of country. Some of that country doesn't even hold deer or doesn't hold very many deer. You finally find deer and there's no bucks because of the time of year, they just aren't with the does, but you've found deer. And that's the, the key part of this nursery thing is you found deer, but we aren't going to waste time with these deer. We're going to figure out where are the other deer that are probably coming toward these deer in the coming month, and so that's the nice thing about understanding you know a nursery area. Okay, it's not maybe a buck producer right now. It will be later. Now we can kind of figure out their routes. Uh, I pull up. I'll just pull up my Go Hunt maps. I'll look at. Okay, this is a place where I think that they're moving in from. Now, if you understand the unit too, you could do a little bit of research on that unit and go, okay, this is a major migration unit. Deer coming from 100 miles away, well, that might make a difference. But if it's not that and there's resident populations in where you're at, and there always will be, I mean, there's a lot of areas that are migration areas and there's still resident populations. There's an area that I've hunted a lot in Nevada so draw a tag or I've hunted with friends and it's a major migration area. But there's still in the summer certain deer that never leave, bucks and does included. So realistically, when we find a nursery area, the first two things that I start to think about and the way that I work backwards from that is I go, okay, here's an area. I've identified it as a nursery. I'm looking for a mature buck. Now I'm going to work backwards in two ways. The first is I'm going to hunt the fringes of that. The areas where it might be a little bit removed but fairly close and places that I think have that good cover to hide bucks. Maybe a steeper portion of the canyon. Like if I've got this one draw, and in the bottom part, it's got three little breaks in it, and those three breaks, there's does always bouncing back and forth. There's some good creek action in the bottom, and, you know, good open sage or whatever, and they just seem to be out eating all the time, doing their thing. I go, okay, now... I look at the mountain, I go, oh, here's a good steep portion of the mountain. It's got a few more tight guts. It's really kind of rough and broken country, which is good for a big buck. It's, you know, big bucks like that because they can bound and that's why mule deer jump instead of run because they, in steep country, they can get away from predators very quickly. Uh, they're jumping 10, 15 feet at a time. Sometimes you watch it, you see like their tracks in and the snow, You go, dude, down this steep thing, that thing just flew down this mountain. And I look for those pockets where, hey, maybe there's a really thick patch of aspens or other type of brush or timber in a couple guts. Some good rock cover and, hey, there's even water in here. There's a, there's good brows inside that cover. That's probably where these bucks are tucked into. And so I can, I can kind of hunt those fringes where I think, okay, this is a place where those bucks are going to be tucked into and spend a little bit of time glassing that and, and picking that apart, hunting that. And then from there, I think, okay, the next logical place is higher on the mountain. You know, you always go like, oh, deeper and steeper. And that is actually, in a lot of instances, works out in your favor. Um, Or more cover or something like that. But higher on the mountain, a little bit further back, is my next logical estimation of where the bucks would be if I find an area that's holding deer and has good deer habitat. Now as we start to move into later in the season, one of the things, if you've been scouting and you go, hey, I've been scouting and I find this area that's it's just does and fawns, they're always there. I found a nursery. Well, a nursery can be a good buck producer as the rut starts to kick up. And maybe not even a place where uh, bucks are, are holing up, but a place where they're cruising through, checking pockets of does. When you think about mule deer during the rut, there's a few things that I've noticed in years of guiding and, and certain deer pockets to look toward. Now, when I find a pocket with a lo- like does and a lot of fawns, I, I I like to think of it does this way as the rut kicks on, is, is like essentially live bait. They're going to be the attractor for bucks. Now, bucks in the initial part of the rut are going to be cruising. And that's, I love that cruising stage because... You just never know what's gonna show up. It's the hardest time to kill them during the rut though, because they are, I mean, I've seen good buck just grunting and moving and never stopping all day. like, oh, there he is, and he's two miles away. And when you get over there, he is far gone. Nothing's stopping that deer. But uh, not every pocket of does is created equal. Not every set of live bait is as good as the next one. So there's going to be pockets where it's like does and every doe has a fawn. That is our least productive pocket of does. What I want to find is a pocket of does where fewer fawns. And the reason for that is, is because, you know, I don't know if there's maybe a biologist could verify this or just deny it. It doesn't matter because I've seen it more times than not. Like just spending every day of the rut out looking at deer you start to pick up a few things. And those pockets with the the fawns, if they have their fawns, it just seems like, yes, they can go into estrus, but it's going to be a lot later. And so the pockets without the fawns are the does that get the bucks interested earlier. Those are the does that often are the ones that the buck's focusing on. And so I'll see a pocket of, let's say I've got a pocket where it's like, seven does, two fawns. That's my productive pocket. And I've got another pocket with seven does, eight fawns, right? Not as productive. It'll, bucks will cruise through there. Or they'll check them and they'll move on real quick. So the pockets with the fewer fawns, more does, those are the ones that I start and go like, this is my honey hole. This is this is my number one pocket. And then I can check those other pockets as well, or those other areas. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use these nurseries, these areas that hold small bucks or, or other deer as the places where we're going to focus on later on as the rut starts to kick off if you got a tag that goes into the rut it's awesome and one of the other things that I think about is in some of these places you go this area there's a place that I you know remember hunting a lot and it was like always does and small bucks and that was kind of the indicator of this area often it starts to attract the better bucks sooner than those other places maybe those small bucks think like oh the, it's like an indicator of this is going to be a productive set of does and they're just ready waiting, hoping that they can sneak in there and get on some does sooner. But in actuality, the bigger bucks start to get in and, and bust them out before that ever happens. And so by just identifying these pockets of does, we can then utilize that as the rut starts to pick up is we get closer to the rut of saying, okay, this could be a productive pocket. Now, one of the things that you want to watch out for is if it's the wrong time of year and you go, we're getting close to the rut, are deer going to start acting funny and and looking for does and cruising? And I think you just have to gauge that on the temperament of what's going on. If you see a buck and he's exhibiting rut signs or signals, yeah, now these pockets of does might start turning on. If not, then I'm going to probably still go, okay, I'm going to hunt the fringe country and a little bit higher up, until that maybe more rutting activity starts, then I can start focusing in on these nursery areas that become producers. But until that point, you know, for the most part, you might be just spinning our wheels, continually watching and spending a lot of time focusing on these particular deer because we're seeing deer when what we're actually looking for is in another place altogether. I hope you guys really enjoyed that podcast. I love you know, being able to sit down and do a lot of these podcasts mid-season during the season, because it's stuff that I'm thinking about, stuff that's coming up, that a lot of these things are things that I'm going to be doing tomorrow, <laughs> this weekend, whatever. Like, it's a lot of the same stuff that I think about this time of year. And so, you know, to be able to to put that into action, I've been getting so many awesome stories of guys hey, your elk series this year, I got my first bull with a bow and I, I got my best bull with a bow or I use this tip and tactic. You get, Feel free at any point, shoot me a message, shoot me an Instagram message or um, some photos. And if you guys don't mind, I, I always feel weird about sharing stuff without, you know, so if you guys want and, and don't care if I share some of that stuff, that'd be awesome. And then a lot of the photos of stuff with the Live Wild brand gear, some great pictures, successful lucky hat, a lot of lucky hats out there. So thank you guys for sending those. And if you guys don't mind um, me sharing, I just put it in the message like, yeah, I don't mind if you share this. I've also been getting a lot of awesome hunting stories that I'd like to put up on my blog on my website, because it's fun to hear from guys that were successful and, and used a certain tactic or or whatever, or struggled for a while, or, or even just maybe you've been successful for a lot and you're like, hey, I really enjoy this podcast and just sharing that success with others. You know, we can all learn from each other. So if you guys have those stories and don't mind if I share those on that, just put it in the message. Like, yeah, it's okay if you use this because um, a lot of people have been emailing some awesome stories as well. You can email me at hunt at That's the same one if you're on my email list. That's the same one we send out emails on that. If you guys aren't on that email list, get on it because... I pretty much do some awesome, some of the best giveaways of the year through that, I think. I just like being able to give back to you guys that have supported me for so long. So thank you guys for that. Thank you for those stories. I'd love to share some of those stories. You know, a lot of people have been sending little write-ups of their hunts and I might not be able to reply to all of them during the hunting season, but I definitely at least look through them and see them. And there's some awesome stories coming through. So thank you guys so much for sharing that with me. I really appreciate it. You know, this time of year for me, it's it it's like the busy time right it's the is how i make my living is guiding and being out in the mountains all the time and part of it too is keeping up a good routine where i stay you know i'm, I'm doing like a lot i feel like this year i'm <laughs> like <laughs> i've had some guys uh, hunting with me whether they're filming or whatever and they're like there was one day we i don't know we went 10 miles and then Like thought the day was over and we did an additional eight miles. He's like, I knew there was a way that you could make 18 miles out of this day. I was like, I put in a lot of miles and cover a lot of country and and hunt hard. Not every day is, you know, big days like that. But for the most part, just try to get after it the best of my ability to, to find that success. And I think one of the things that I've noticed, I am essentially my entire life at doing this. I've been guiding since pretty much my entire adult life, you know, and and a lot of that would be spending hundreds of days back to back out in the field. And it's like, you have to maintain your energy levels and fitness levels so you can just go from, it doesn't matter if it's a three-day hunt, a two-day hunt, a 12-day hunt. You know, you want to be as strong on the first day as the last day. And a lot of that also just kind of comes down to fueling yourself in the field, you know, bringing the right foods and, and hydration and, and stuff like that. I've talked about hydration for a long time. Great supporter of this podcast, Wilderness Athlete. I've worked with them. I've been using their stuff since it was a company. And I really actually think about it in the times that, you know, throughout the season, like this season, the Hydrate and Recover, they've got a new like rescue hydration. And I've used that more this year and, and felt like there's a lot of times where I needed that additional boost of electrolytes, Um, some awesome stuff on their site. Another thing that I like to do throughout the season is, you know, I wake up, I I enjoy coffee. I love, I love a good cup of coffee, but what I've been doing is first thing when I get up, hydrating, I'll drink a, essentially I've got a big Yeti Yonder bottle here and I just do a energy and focus in it. And that's my first drink of the day. Like get that, it's like a boost of caffeine. It makes me real happy, excited, or just a hydrate and recover and then have a big bottle of water and some hydration in that first thing in the morning. And then I've been doing just like a meal replace. They've got their meal replace shakes. And I'll mix that in as like, I don't really like to eat first thing in the morning, but I know if I have some kind of something to pull from, if I can front load a little bit, that's better. And I've been trying to eat a little bit more in the morning. But sometimes if I eat, this is, if I eat breakfast, my lunch is gone by 9.30 a.m. You know, you get up so early, if I start my metabolism up there, I feel like I just run through my lunch. And maybe that's a, a good thing. Maybe I'm front loading and, and burning all those calories, but just doing that, that little bit of shake where it's like, okay, I'm eating, I'm hydrating, I'm getting some fuel. So then a little bit more after sunup or whatever, I can then dip into some packout bars bars or, or some other bars. And it's a really good system for me. I've been really enjoying it. I feel like I've been really strong this year, even kind of, I don't know, coming into the season, I feel like we're we're midway through and I feel like I've had really some of the hardest hunts of my life (laughs) this year. Just like Alaska sheep hunt, elk hunt that just like everything's been going to the end and a a desert sheep hunt that I'm going to tell you guys the story about here pretty soon. Just a lot of grinding it out, it feels like, this year. Almost kind of struggling a little bit, but also having, you know, feeling really good in the mountains. And, and I always generally do, but I feel exceptionally good this year. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just good to be out. <laughs> um, so that's just, you know, one of the things that I, I like to talk about the companies that really support us, but also that have some of the best stuff out there, in my opinion. You guys, as always, can use code LIVEWILD for 20% off any of the wilderness athlete stuff. So something to think about if you're interested in in their products. And then, hey, if you guys like this mule deer stuff that I've been talking about, I have some really good courses on outdoor class. If you haven't seen them yet, I got one on bow hunting mule deer. I got one on just finding mule deer that I did last year. You can also get all the other outdoor classes. There's continually new ones popping up from other people. Uh, I've just... I'm very passionate about mule deer hunting. And so I thought it'd be a good way to to showcase some of the little nuances that is better seen in video, not just on these podcasts. So if you're interested in more like deep dives into mule deer hunting, don't have outdoor class, get it. Because there's a lot of good stuff on elk hunting and pretty much all kinds of hunting, cooking, whatever. Been fun to do those. I'm working on another one here that we'll do next year so. Something to think about if, if you guys are interested, you can always, on that as well, use code LIVEWILD for a discount on that. I like to be able to give back to the listeners. So those are those are some of the options to be able to kind of see some more stuff on, on. you are know, like, hey, I liked this podcast. I want to know more about mule deer hunting. I think that's the hunt that most Western hunters trying to find mature mule deer buck, you're going to struggle with. Elk hunting for sure as well, but I don't know, there's something difficult about finding good mule deer bucks. So... I think that I'll help you guys out. Until next week, I'm just going to say, get out and hunt. It's that time of year. Let's do it. Catch you guys later.